What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 33 of the Joe Ciccarelli Show. Today's episode is a conversation with my good friend and colleague, Jeff Gerken. For those of you guys that are in the traffic transportation space that might be listening to this, you guys already, you guys very likely already know Jeff. Uh, for those of you that aren't, which is a lot of you, let me give you a little bit of background on kind of how this conversation came to be. Uh, Jeff built a successful business here in uh, Tampa, Florida. They kind of had tentacles across the U.S., but based here in Tampa, and was acquired by my current company about three years ago, or I don't know about three, I just made that up, a couple years ago, and um, at the time, my wife Nat and I were living out in California, and we wanted to relocate back to the East Coast, I'm from Boston, she's from Scotland, wanted to get closer to family, whatever, and um, we were thinking kind of the Carolinas, and one day I got a call from Jeff, and he's like, hey man, what do you think about Tampa, would love to have you down here. So I ended up doing, uh, we did a trip out there. I had already lived in Tampa, so I was familiar, but we we took Nat out there and um, we liked it and we moved out here uh, and having lived here now and in the process of building a house, um, God, we couldn't be happier. We just love it here so much. It's a cool city, so much up and coming. So I owe a lot of that to Jeff um, for making that phone call and kind of coaxing us to to take a look at Tampa and uh, here we are. So having lived out here, I work with him a lot more. I've gotten to know him personally. We hang out outside of work, um, and our families have gotten to know each other. And uh, yeah, he's just—he's a really cool dude. So um, I was trying to think about how I want to like intro him for this, and um, you know, we'll talk about his background. He was very successful in the military for a long period of time, and then he built a very successful business. And I think um, he has this interesting document that we talk about, and I, but talking to him about turning that into a book. I think he should. But uh, this document is really a lot of principles that he's learned in the military that he applied to business, and he's obviously been very successful in both. So the guy's doing something right. So he kind of checks all those boxes, right? So for someone like me who looks at, looks for people as mentors, um, you know, what can you learn from someone? The, the list just goes on and on with Jeff from a business sense and even from a family man. A lot of the ways he approaches his, his life from a um, with his family is just, um, yeah, I just have a lot of respect for the way he operates. So that's, that's there and that checks the box. And, um, you know, that's not really in my eyes what makes him unique though. Um, I know a lot of other people that have been really successful in business and are successful in their family life. And so what, what I find that makes Jeff unique, at least to me, um, is also the way he can just turn it off. Um, we become friends, like I said, outside work and the same guy that you can go into and he will call your ass out on a Monday morning or a Wednesday afternoon, like no one's business. He'll also sit there with you on a Friday night and rip through bottles of wine <laughs> or a crown in his case. And uh, just be a cool dude. Great sense of humor. And, and, and someone you can just chill out with, bust some balls with and uh, have a good time. Not feel like, oh, wow, this guy's really successful. I need to like put on, a, you know, I need to make sure that I say the right thing. He's just, he's a real dude. And uh, maybe it's just me that I don't know a lot of really successful people that are real dudes or maybe not. I, I don't know. But I find that for me, I, I know a lot of people that I look at from a business perspective and it's like, wow, yeah, that guy's got it figured out. And I have a lot of friends that, I have a lot of really good friends that I've made over the years that I'm like, yeah, we can just sit there and I just can be be myself and chill out. And um, and again, maybe that's on me and I'm sure it is to an extent. But um, anyway, this isn't about me, is it? It's about Jeff, and and uh, he's just yeah, he checks a lot of those boxes. He's just a cool dude, and uh, he's done well. So I said, hey, why don't you come on the podcast? Let's just chat. We have these conversations 
all the time about, hey, we should do this or we should do that or um, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? And there's always good insight. So I said, why don't you come on the podcast and uh, we'll just chat and see what the hell happens. So I was really fortunate that he agreed to come on. And uh, what happens next is the conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. We've had a lot of conversations um, over the phone that we don't record that I, and I always feel like this would be a good one to record and just kind of see what pops up. So thanks for, th- thanks for taking the time. Ah, it's my pleasure, Joe. It, uh, we've, I've enjoyed listening to your podcasts. They're a uh, funny thing. I've kind of recently caught up on a few of them and, and they were on a faster speed for some reason. So you talk fast already. <laughs> just slightly sped up is really funny. So. Yeah, it's like 1.5% and, it, and where yeah. it should be like 0.75 in the way I talk. <laughs> um, so I want to um, dive right in here and I want to start with some of your military stuff. You can give people a background and I know, um, yeah, we're give people a background a little bit about your two tours in Iraq and I'd, I'd like to hear the what depending on what you're willing to share what was your craziest experience over there well let me um kind of shape that because it it, um, it wasn't as straightforward as hey two tours in iraq so i actually joined the military in, in 1987 right out of high school my brothers were marines um i was going to be a marine um and then a neighbor recruiter called me one time and says hey i'm looking at your test scores and you ever considered being in our nuclear power program? And I was like, you mean I don't have to be a mortarman? And uh, he's <laughs> like, no, you, we'll teach you a lot of stuff. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And uh, so that was an academically rigorous endeavor where you, you take kids like me and ultimately they run a nuclear power plant uh, on submarines or, or ships. And so that was, it really taught me to learn how to learn. Not, you know, I don't remember a lot of the, physics behind the decay of uranium-235 and all that crap, but it's just like how to tackle learning. So that was a six-year commitment, did very well. Uh, they cross-trained me as a Navy diver, so I had a lot of fun experiences doing that. I was assigned to a fast-tech submarine, did some great missions, North Pole, all kinds of stuff. But really, the the legacy there is, you know, I just have friends that are amazing. Um, right. We just had a couple's weekend at Streamsong over over Valentine's Day. And, you know, guys, I was with 30 years ago. We still, you know, still get together quite frequently. And then I had stayed, you know, the, the idea was we all got out. And we all went to, to on to, you know, whatever it is. Um, in my case, I went to college. always wanted to be an engineer. And six months into, um, you know, Iowa State University, I was kind of gravitated towards other guys like me. And found a small group of veterans, and and um, one of them was in the National Guard. Uh, and and you know I was a broke college kid on the GI Bill, so it made sense to join the local National Guard unit. You know, protect Iowa from Minnesota invading, as my dad used to say. <laughs> um, so that was you know they put some money in our pockets, and we felt good about contributing. Um, and then I finished grad school and I was like, wow, I got 11 years in on this. What could I do with it? And I heard about a program where, um, the Navy would take certain technical specialties and give you a direct commission. So I didn't have to go to, you know, the traditional officer pipelines of the Academy, ROTC, OCS, it literally was 
uh, you know, in your living room, you could become an officer, you know, because I had certain credentials. And that's how the, the Navy filled out the officer corps of the Seabees, which is the Navy's construction battalions. Mm-hmm. And they're technically the, the um, you know, under the Naval Construction Force, it's called, you know, Civil Engineer Corps. So uh, I was an ensign in the Civil Engineer Corps serving in, you know, construction battalions, peacetime, late 90s, you know, drill, one day, uh, one weekend a month, two weeks a year mentality. And then 9-11 hit. And, and, you know, everything changed. And every reservist, every guardsman, you know, of any flavor, um, every service wanted to do something. So we were really amped up to go contribute to our piece. Um, you know, two years later, we were, you know, uh, well, a year and a half to build up to Iraq. So my unit got called up. I was, I was in, you know, so many opportunities were presented and you know how it works is, is you have to prepare yourself for those opportunities. So it's, you know, it was a two way street. I was mature enough. Uh, I was of the correct rank. I just made Lieutenant, which is a captain in most other services. And they needed somebody to lead a 125 person unit. And, um, so I, I jumped at the chance. My wife was pregnant with our first child at the time. So that was, you know, an, an added spin, which we still joke about today. How but, old were uh, you at the time? Uh, well, 35, okay. 35. Yeah. yeah. So again, I, I was, I was in a great position to lead a group of older people, you know, reservists mm-hmm. by their nature are older Technically very proficient. I had started and led this company for several years, uh, you know, and, you know, it takes, it takes, you know, a, a little bit of different tactics to lead a personnel like that, right? These, these guys had construction companies. They, they were master electricians, master tradesmen, and you, you have to, you know, you work with them, right? And, and you try to achieve the same goals. And, and I understood all that. Uh, because I was that, you know, that young enlisted guy that tried to get away with all the shit that I saw other people try to get away with. I was just ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I picked some great chiefs around me. It was I was able to kind of hand select of the unit of a battalion of several hundred people. I was able to really get the cream of the crop. And, and we had a great unit. Uh, did the, you know, the, the beginnings of the invasion and then did, you know, ultimately, you know, through the early fall and then came home. So. That was a very interesting deployment. Um, truly there, the, the first months of it, you know, we were greeted as, as liberators. As Seabees, we were building things, repairing, you know, infrastructure. We were in the communities every day. It was, it was really rewarding, you know, rebuilding schools, doing humanitarian missions, um, you know, literally put up a, a corpsman outpost and let corpsmen see people for, you know, just, you know, as a, as a doctor in the field would. So other units always wanted our time and our skill set. So being a CB is easy because everybody wants a piece of you because you make their life better. So uh, that was very rewarding. Um, came home to a three-month-old, and uh, that was awesome. Yeah. And then went back to normal life. Um, tried to keep all back irking kind of uh, growing. We were very small at the time. John Albeck and I had started it several years before that. So we just, you know, dug into growing that business and um, always knew that 
you know, we called it at the time. We knew this would be the long war because it was a war on terrorism. Um, and, you know, the, the, you know, everybody knows about what that means nowadays. The enemy is elusive. So knew I was going back at some time. Um, had moved around units. I was an instructor at our basic course, which is, you know, great. Um, I'd served in the regiment, the division, and, um, and then I got a call. Uh, I was, I was actually on military time and said, Hey, this unit, you know, your old unit failed an inspection and they're going down range. We need you to go with them, take over this leadership position. I said, well, let me call, talk to my wife. Um, and we'd had another child, Sam, uh, in the prevening, in the, in the years between that. And, you know, she knew it was coming and my argument was, Hey, I'd rather go with guys I know than a lot of guys I don't. So pretty quick decision. Uh, my brother, Brian had just joined the company and I called him and said, Hey, you know, I'll kind of let you out of the deal here if, if you didn't sign up for this, but I'm, I'm going to go for a year. And he's like, no, um, I'll hold it down while you're gone. So, um, you know, almost four years to the day, returned to Iraq this time in Fallujah. First time was really, you know, Baghdad South in a place called Hilla. Um, second time I was officer in charge and, and uh, camp mayor. I always joke, I was the unelected mayor of a camp, um, <laughs> um, aboard, you know, camp Fallujah. So totally different, you know, you can imagine the infrastructure we were able to build. Uh, the first time I'd lost so much weight cause we really had no food. We had to eat MREs and, and, you know, everything was scarce, rarely showered, all that stuff. And the second time it was very good housing, uh, dining facilities, and, and, you know, if you weren't careful, guys were getting fat. So uh, totally different mission. Um, and then and then returned, um, you know, the, the Navy and Marine Corps does seven, seven months on the ground. But by the time you do the workup, the deployment, and the stand down, it, 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 you know, in a leadership position, it's almost a year. So Returned to uh, the company after almost a year and, and we'd added staff and, and they've gotten uh, better at their jobs. And I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it was a it was a great discontinuity in my career as an engineer where I was able to kind of pivot to doing something different. But mm. uh, I think the second part of your question uh, was, you know, uh, fascinating things I saw. Is that is that the flavor of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, everyone wants to know what really happened over there. And I mean, I know that's a lot of that stays over there. But I mean, what would you say that you kind of like really jumped um, out to you? And maybe something that you didn't expect. You were like, you know. Well, um, there was a lot I didn't expect. Um, again, I, I think early on, peop- you know, that first tour, people – Validated the mission, man. Saddam and his kids and, and his regime were terrible people. Obviously, in the hindsight of history, we handled it so poorly. Um, you know, but at that time, people were very happy we were there. Uh, in the years since then, obviously, the mission uh, evolved and changed, and, and uh, um, we changed with it. But, um, you know, the, I would say the the overhead it takes to put a fighting man or woman on the ground is, is amazing. Right. Mm. And you equate that to a company. It is what's it take to put Joe Ciccarelli in a position to sell 
hardware and software. Well, it takes a big team behind him. And that was eye-opening um, coming from, you know, my background. I was like, well, we can do this with this many people, but then you needed so much infrastructure behind you supporting it. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but yeah. Um, Who? And, and the quality of the people really in, in the sense of our U S troops. I mean, it, I worked with a guy briefly. Um, I won't say his name, but he, he's like, Hey Jeff, I build satellites for a living and I'm over here. <laughs> the fuck am I doing just, here? Yeah. Let's just get a sense of these are pretty high charge, you know, high, highly intelligent, hard charging men and women, you know, that, that uh, was amazing. It, yeah. You know, it truly is a sector of society. Most people don't interact with, but they are excellent people. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and that's just it. So, um, I want to take you back to something. So when nine 11 happened, were you married at the time you married? Yes, I was, um, I was going to be on a plane that day to Chicago, lived in Omaha at the time to teach a engineering course. And John was, John Albeck was going to follow the next day. So, um, for people that don't kind of know the history, obviously I do, so it's easy, but, um, we're kind of, Jumping in between, obviously, your military career and then your professional career. We started an engineering firm, um, and then and we'll talk about that in more detail. But generally speaking, what you were doing, which is actually really amazing, that you were overseas in the military and at the same time building a startup engineering firm, right? I mean, out of, out of your garage in between that. I mean, that's where it all started, right? Before you guys kind of grew. That that's fair assessment. I mean, when I got back from the first tour, it's like, okay, what what you know, what do we have here for contracts? Um, you know, what can we build rapidly and really just dove in and tried to grow it, which we were successful in growing it. Um, we had enough people, enough leadership. Again, my brother Brian had joined us right before my second tour. Uh, you know, as as more of a business centered MBA type that put a lot of professionalism behind the business aspects. And then, of course, the engineering was there. So, um, and, and the infrastructure. I was able to hold calls once a week with, um, you know, Brian and, and some of the senior engineering leaders and kind of make some decisions from afar. And we had email access and, and wow. I was able to, inter, you know, uh, interact enough where I knew what was going on and could make some decisions when they put decisions in front of me. So the, the first thing that jumps out, because the, the, the other question that I wanted to ask you about this is like, what do people in civilian life get wrong about the Middle East, um, the military, and what kind of happens over there? And the first thing that I would say I would get wrong is, I guess I didn't realize it was that cush. And it's not cush, but like, and I'm sure other people are in different things, but like the fact that, yeah, I guess you see these movies and it's like these guys say goodbye to the family and they barely ever see him, not see him, but like they can barely FaceTime in your we're able to manage a business from the other side of the world. That's pretty, I mean, is that definitely on the second tour? So four, four and a half years after being there, the infrastructure was, um, immense. Um, the, the dining facilities were fantastic. Um, yeah. the, the internet, I mean, they, they, we, we would joke, they, they had the equivalent of like a Starbucks on this. Wow. And we would, we would, uh, you know, we called bases fobs, Ford operating base, and there were things like we called them fobbits, guys, guys and ladies that never left base. 
would literally get fat on deployment because they never <laughs> left base. Just hang so out. So I, I seek every opportunity to get out and, and do our missions. So when um, 9-11 hit, did you, obviously you're married, and obviously if you're in the military and you're going overseas, there's a thought in the back of your mind that this could be the last time I see family and friends because uh, you're going into war. What was there like a massive sense of pride within you? Like I'm going to defend my country in this. And at the same time, like a fear of, I need to say goodbye to my you know, wife. Like, how oh, did you deal uh, with that? Yeah. I think those are definitely, you know, the pride of just being the part of the team that got selected or, you know, yeah. the first guys in that, that, that was, right. and you, you know, you, you had to be good. Uh, you had to be in the right place at the right time and, and you had to back it up. Um, so we had a great team. Um, think back on it fondly. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it, you know, my wife is very supportive. She was very proud of her actions, right? So it's just a very big pride point. In our yeah, lives. it is pride. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then put it in perspective, right? Our grandparents did the same thing. Mm. You're nothing special, you know? Yeah. So there, there's a balance there. Yeah. Last thing on the military, um, weren't you on a fucking submarine for like how many months uh, in the middle and uh, underwater and stuff? That was the first six years of my career, uh, two of training and then four actually on an, on an active submarine. What was that uh, like? I mean, it's just you and some dudes under uh, like how many miles underwater for how long? Um, so, uh, we actually call it the silent service. So there's things we don't talk about. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, as you know, I'm pretty good at keeping secrets. Uh, but we would go on, um, what attracted me to that type of submarine as if I had any choice, um, in the, in the matter, there's two, two basic types. One was the strategic deterrence missile submarines that had two crews and they were, their job is to, you know, stay silent and, and go out for 90 days and rotate crews and get back out and just hide. I was on a, a submarine called a fast tack and our, we had varied missions. Uh, again, I I'd said they had sent me to dive school, which I, I just loved it. Um, so we would do missions with in training missions with uh, Marine recon, Navy seals where you'd lock out of a submarine and scuba or, or, put a fast boat on, on top of the submarine and, and deploy troops. Um, didn't do it very often, but it was uh, different than the normal operations of a power plant underway. Yeah. Wow. Probably the coolest thing was the North Pole. That was really Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You said that earlier. So what's what happened there? You saw Santa? So there's been a scientific mission at the North Pole. There's been a strategic hey we can get here and launch uh with with the russians way back mm -hmm. to the original nuclear powered submarine the nautilus um so there's that rotating mission up there i think every year where they call them isex and so in 91 i was part of that crew that did that rendezvous with british submarine um did scientific you know we brought scientists with us and whatnot so wow but long, long time. We were we were deployed for six months, which is a long time for that kind of a boat. Went through the Panama Canal on the way back. That was fun. How did you exercise on that? Like, did you like how, how do you stay in shape? Um, 
especially as a diver, it was important that we did stay in shape. So we, we had a, a very small, unlike missile submarines where they talk about jogging, we didn't have anything like that. So we had like a, the old Nordic track or a stationary bike uh, in really cramped spaces. But, you know, just your calisthenics uh, yeah. in, in really weird places, you do calisthenics. <laughs> God, I can only imagine. So um, what, what made you want to be an entrepreneur? And maybe talk about that from a, yeah, I guess I'll leave it that. What, what made you want to be an entrepreneur? I never really um, set out at a young age at all thinking that was the path I was going to be on. I, I, uh, again, normal college grad student, uh, got a job at a consulting firm and probably very quickly realized it wasn't for me, you know, figured out the business model very rapidly, um, worked with great people. And, and I just said, you know, when I get my chance, I, I might do this on my own. And that chance came pretty quickly. Uh, John Albeck and I had uh, married many, you know, beer conversations and what he wanted to do, what I wanted to do. And it kind of came together with um, a plan and, and, Every, every entrepreneur has some way that they started, right? Loan mm-hmm. from grandma, whatever. Ours was, uh, John had a relationship with a software uh, company and, and they needed tech support and training. So that really kind of helped launch us. And I had some projects I brought with us, or brought with me from another, the previous firm. And we just hustled, uh, you know, tried to build good relationships with people, deliver great value and, and ultimately, you know, I, I just wanted to grow. So it took a few years, but um, uh, eventually grew. You know, obviously talked about a couple of the military deployments that, you know, put put um, put changes into that growth plans like any business, but um, really attracted great people. And um, that that's really the key. Um, so I'd say I just lucked into it more than anything. Um, yeah. saw opportunity when opportunity presented itself and capitalized on it. So I think, um, for entrepreneurs, like at, at least for me, for, for normal people, entrepreneurs, you hear about these people that wrote some fucking code and changed the world and that's great. But for normal people, there's gotta be like a sense of fear, right? Like, uh, and I deal with this, you know, as I kind of look at way to start my own business, it's like, what if it, whatever. And for me, i I'm super like leveraged in a way, um, or anti-leveraged because I have, you know, all this other stuff that I do and I perform highly at my day job. But f- for you, f- what was it like to like walk away from your job and be like, I got to feed fucking kids and my wife and all like, I mean, wh- is it, was that an affair? Or well, more of um, motivated? we didn't have children at that point and my wife had a great job, uh, and I could have always fallen back in the military. So there's multiple safety nets. It, it wasn't that big of a leap. Um, you know, pretty much any engineer can get a job if they fail at entrepreneurship. Yeah. So and it, so, it wasn't uh, break or bust by any means. And so, and maybe that's more the case than not. You know, it's funny because I say that, like people are scared. and But, you know, maybe this, a, a lot of smart people are smart about how they get into it and do it the right way so they're not – having to put their ass on the line. You know, you hear about these stories, but I barely had enough money in my bank account to eat. And you wonder how much that's really the case versus how many people that are just successful in business, um, get in at the right time and do it the right way. I guess it's probably a combination of both. 
I've certainly benefited from good timing, good opportunities, but I, I, th- I was motivated by the people that said, oh, okay, we'll see you back here mentality. And, and that was a huge driver. It's like, no, I want to make this happen. Yeah. I'm going to figure it out. And so for the listeners here, um, again, keeping people informed, you started a consulting business, traffic engineering, which is where we work together now. Um, you know, and I'll have kind of talked about some of this in the intro. So I think many of you listening kind of do have an idea, but for you, what was the biggest, so you're running a business, um, and I'm going to, I, I'm going to let you answer this in whatever way you've, because I, I, you sent me a document earlier that had a lot of lessons that you've applied from the military into business. And um, I, I mean it when I said it, I think that could be a fucking book. Uh, I thought it was fantastic to read and very well written. So of all the lessons you learned in the military, what do you think is the most helpful for you to build your, what was the most helpful for you to build a, your business? So um, the, the document uh, you're referring to is, is uh, I wrote it uh, at the end of my second tour. And, and my motivation was I, I, at the end of school or, you know, college, I thought, wow, what if, what if at the end of the year semester uh, you wrote two pages of every class with how you remember thermodynamics, physics, chemistry, and it's always be available to you in your mm. own way of thinking. I was like, ah, oh, that'd be a great way to summarize a, mm. a class. And I thought, I've been around some really stellar leaders. I need to write down what they've taught me. So that was my motivation. Um, and actually, these, you know, I, I frame these and put them up in, 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 you know, in our training room. You've seen them in my office and, and other places. And I encourage new people to read them and that gives them a mindset into the way I think and operate and expect people to, but I I would, um, there's many here that are good and the reason they're on there are good, (laughs) but I think brilliance in the basics is, is a really good place for people to start. You know, you got a task in front of you. I, I, and again, I relate, raising two teenage boys a lot to running a company and it's similar coaching, um, not in your coaching sense, but just human interaction is, Hey, let's just do it right the first time. Cause it'll be faster, you know? And that's, that's the bottom line is we'll be back if we don't do it right. So how about we just do it right the first time and, and really truly understand what that means. And um, so that's, that's good. And I, the other one I, I really learned um, and I learned I was this way and is ruthless execution. It became our company motto um, is let's get it done. And I don't, I, you know, if this is what's in front of us, don't let noise get in our way. We're going to get this done. And uh, that was always my reputation, not because I'd physically be the guy, you know, you know, doing whatever, but I know how to motivate form and, and, you know, optimize what the task needs to get done with the people that I have. That's a, sometimes a collection of, you know, just experience, not experience, but, you know, we would just get it done and not be worried about little things. Right. And I think society today, I certainly see this um, and I don't want to be the guy bitching about younger generations, but you know, keep focused on the big picture, get it done. 
the people that do that are valued in any organization, mm. you know, and, and it's so easy to bitch and, and get off track. That's really what ruthless execution is. So, so when there's, you... there's, there's plenty here that, you know, lessons more than just those two. Well, yeah. I mean, I started like writing down and I was like, God, I could ask about each one of these. So I like it. Yeah, well, let's just hear what you have to say. Um, when you say focus on the big picture, uh, when you say people bitch too, like, yeah, like not like an actual like example, but like, is it like, forget about what he said or what she said, just focus on what's in front of like, yeah. I mean, say more about that. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll equate it to our current business. Um, so we're, we've, we're delivering this platform, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and I know what that means. And we know that when, at, at, as we look forward and say, here's where we're going to end up with the successful platform that the customer is paying for, it's going to be kind of game changing in our industry. And we just really think this is the way to go. The soft, software platform. Well, here we sit today, and that's not the case, right? We have a lot of challenges ahead of us. And, and we can say, geez, this is in my way, and I'll, I'll mess around for a couple of days wasting time worrying about it. I'll bitch about, I didn't know I had to do this. Or, okay, uh, that's new. I didn't have that as a scoped item. None of that matters, Right. We know the end state. We know what success looks like. What are all the things that are going to help us get there? Who's on our team? And let's just get it done. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, there'll be a little bit of rework because you discover new things along the way. Make that part of your culture is like, hey, let's do a little bit of, of effort here. Regroup. What did we learn? Come back with better processes and procedures and march on. Um, but I think people get caught up in shit that doesn't matter. You know, the email from HR. Oh, what's this about? Who cares? Yeah. Another company wants to buy your company. Who cares? They're not. Let's keep going. <laughs> Stay on it. Um, in your opinion, when you hear about people that are successful in business, which clearly you've been successful, you hear a lot about um, – falling in love with the process, like the day-to-day process, right? So, um, and that's really fucking hard to do, man, when you're like, God, like you just want to be rich or you just want to be at the end or you just want to be there when you sold your company. How have you been able to do that? And have you been able to do that? And where have you struggled? Well, what's interesting is uh, a gentleman we know, um, I've known him for a long time. He started a business similar to to what I had. and I've just enjoyed so much talking to him about uh, him and his wife's business. And, and when somebody asks for you, asks for your advice and, and, you know, scenario, what would you do? And they actually listen and not that they do what you tell them to, but, but they actually listen and they try what you said and they find, figure it out their own way and do better than you did. It's, it's just really uh, rewarding to see them well do well. And similar with like past employees that have gone on and done great things that that's the most rewarding thing. Right. It's like, Mm. again, it's like raising kids. It's, it's, you pin your hopes in them. Right. 
so that's that's a big part of it. I don't maybe help me direct me back to where we were on this. So like in terms of the day-to-day process, what do you oh. like how do you it's a fucking monotonous drag sometimes, isn't it? And how do you stay in it in is it just as is is it self discipline and just beating yourself up? Stay with it, or is there a way to? What I'm starting to really notice, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and it's just, you know, you got to really just fall in love with the present moment and what you're doing right now, and become obsessed with it, or else you can get lost in. And this is what led, led me to this question: was it else you get lost in all the bullshit? Yeah, yeah. So um, great, thanks for redirecting it. Um, so me equating it to this this couple we both know in their business, and, and of course your business is. You're going to look back when you were in that room and you and Natalie are going to be having, you know, some event, your kids are going to be running around and you'll be like, damn, those were the days doing dang podcasts in our spare bedroom. Wasn't that cool? And I've always appreciated that. You know, you said garage earlier, but literally my basement in Omaha was where my first office was. And then we move from one shitty little office to the next. And all of a sudden you look back, it's like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. I've enjoyed the ride. And I, I, you know, I didn't, I never dismissed that. I was, you know, when people would say, you know, raising kids, it's like, you know, they grow up so fast. And I really knew that. Uh, So I've, I've enjoyed the ride. So as I look back and, you know, I've transacted, I'm going through, uh, the integration of my former company into the current company. Um, you know, I look back at all those events, e- even the, the bad days is like, wow, those, those, that's pretty special memories. So if I could say, you know, to entrepreneurs who have more tough days than good days, for sure, right? Business is brutal, is enjoy the ride, man. You're doing something that not a lot of people are doing. Yeah. I was talking to somebody, uh, probably you or, or another buddy in our circle of friends. And I said, you know, I don't have an enemy, but if I wanted, if I had an enemy, I'd wish them a boring life. Right. Cause that's the worst thing you could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's true. Um, speaking of a boring life or, or, or lack thereof, one of the things I've really noticed about you and uh, admired um, is a lot of things quite frankly, but one in particular was, you're always up to something um, in even like in like a networking way. And so I'm a, I'm a sales guy. So I'm always wondering, how do I get better? How do I get better at sales? And I think one of the things I like about what you do very inherently is like, you're always like, yeah, I'm going to lunch with this person or I'm going to lunch with this person. And you do a good job of, Hey, you, you and Nat want to go out to eat. Um, are you, but you're not also like naturally like super like bubbly either. So is it something that you've created? I mean, but so, to me, that is kind of sales, right? You're selling yourself for constantly keeping up with what's going on and reaching out to people. Is that by design or is that just who you are? And how do you, yeah, comment on um, that? So it, it, uh, I would say all those interactions are insincere, right? That, yeah. Because uh, I have very good friends. And I work at those relationships. It's always a two-way street. Sometimes it's it's uh, more one way than the other, but eventually it's two-way street. Um, but but I want to maintain those relationships, whether it's a business relationship, personal relationship, you know, whatever the case is. 
um, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good friend and, and I have pretty good friends. Yeah. So in, in, it, it really does boil down to relationships really. Right. And I guess that's sales in a nutshell. And so you think if we start to look at how you've been able to sell your business and not physically the actor, but like grow your business and sell yourself to clients, um, would you attribute it, especially in our industry? So we're in the uh, business to government B to G industry and uh, governments, for those of you that don't know, operate very differently than normal businesses. Um, you can't just go in and one call close someone. It takes a while. Um, so how is, how is your, is relationships been your way of selling your, your services and stuff or, and how have you approached that? In a way, um, I had a engineer work for me for a while and he just actually texted me while we're talking, uh, which goes back to that enduring relationships. And he mm. said, Oh, getting business is all about relationships. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to disagree at the end of the day, government hires, um, you know, services or equipment that they know is going to get the job done, right? Uh, there's limited budgets. Those are our tax dollars. So the relationships are very important. But at the end of the day, you got to deliver. Mm, so yeah. we developed a, a reputation as the guys that could deliver. We were understated, you know, just whenever – you know, made a big deal about what we delivered. We just did what we said we were going to do and, and, and try to the, the cliche of under province and over deliver looking towards that was our marketing strategy. That was our BD strategy versus, you know, um, different ways to go. Right. It's, it's you know, mm. our, our, our business was easy in the sense that uh, it's qualification based selection and, you don't need to be fancy. You, you need to have a reputation and, and, and that's what we built. Yeah. I had this question written here and I'm just looking at it now and I'm just going to ask it. So how do you approach empathy with such a strong, no excuse attitude? Cause that's who you are, right? But you're all like, you're someone who's very no bullshit. You cut to the chase. You'll end a call the second it's done, but you're also the furthest thing in the world from like, a prick or an inconsiderate or you're very empathetic. How do you, how do you be that person? Um, I'm glad you think I have empathy. <laughs> <laughs> As you're stabbing uh, in the back. This, All right. Between that and patience, that's what I'm working on. Um, well, uh, I, being in these leadership roles, um, whether it be the military or, or in this company, um, you get to know everybody has some problems, right? And when you're young and, you know, out there doing your thing and, you know, just a hard head, which I was, you know, for sure. Everybody was, you were the same way. You, you just don't, the rare person realizes that, right? You're just doing your thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as a leader, successful leader, you, you, you just, you know, you're helping people through their lives. I mean, guys on deployment whose wife has cancer, right? I mean, he's going through that, right? She's going through it at home. You know, how do you handle that, right? Mm. Um, so you, you learn that you're just there to help people. And it doesn't really matter what you accomplished. To me, it's about, could I have one of my engineers go start another company in a couple of years? That'd be great, right? So that's that's what's, probably potentially more rewarding than my personal success. 
right. is helping other people succeed. How do you define your success? Um, their names are Jack and Sam. Yeah. <laughs> all, I, all I care about is my family. Right. Work's important, but only to a point. And so what is it about them that you would deem yourself? And I'm not looking for like, hey, give me a, an actionable plan, but like what is it that would make you feel like a successful husband and father? father? Well, you, you've heard me say, uh, and I've gotten in plenty of arguments with, with people, is um, one of my sons is not going to go to college. And people are like, what? You know, how can you say that? That's the path. I'm like, it's not his path. You know, his path's good, you know, is going to be his way and he'll find his way and we'll support him. But, you know, the problem I see is people doing things for every, for these kids is, is they got to find their own way, man. And maybe he's going to be a welder someday. Maybe he's going to be a diesel mechanic, but if he's happy and, and productive and has a purpose, that's, and, and has a good relationship. That's, that's success. That's happiness. Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, how about in business? Is it kind of the same thing just instead of your kids that you're, you know, your engineers and that sort of stuff? Yes. Yeah, definitely the same way. I mean, um, we saw plenty of success, uh, in, in the previous company, um, you know, by all, you know, reasonable metrics, right. You know, mm -hmm. revenue, profits, growth, all those things. I'd say, you know, a measure of success, very proud of is a partnership with my brother. Uh, but then we brought in other, you know, other engineers that, that were a huge part of the success. Couldn't do it without them. I mean, to, to say I did it all is, is ridiculous. Right. You remember when Obama said, you didn't do it all. You, you didn't do that. Well, he was right in a way, Yeah, you know, in a way, I don't think the way he meant, but you know, to, to have six shareholders at the end was phenomenal. To, to let them be part of the process was great. Um, to see people that moved on because of life situations. Hey, I'm moving back to the Midwest to have, you know, to be around family because we have more babies. It's like you help them get a job. You check in with them. They call you. Those are great relationships. Um, and I looked at more of them. But it goes back to, you know, understanding where people are at and then yeah. if you can help them you help them yeah uh, one of the things in your document was that uh, and it's so true the more you give the more you get right i mean there's just there's something to that isn't there yep for sure um i got questions here man i just got a list of and i'm, I'm going to take credit for the first three or four and then if we can keep going i have some other ones that i've stolen from other podcasters but go uh, for it how has COVID impacted your outlook in, on life? Um, I am very concerned about the impact uh, of mental health of people that have been terrified, have been shut in, have lacked social interaction. Um, I've seen it with, with current employees and, mm. um, We've interdicted, you know, in the sense of, hey, uh, how about you come back to the office a couple of days a week? You, you need to be around people. Um, 
I think generally we, we did the right thing. Generally, uh, I love our governor. Uh, his philosophies worked out very well in Florida. Uh, but I am very concerned. You hear about you know, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, certainly suicide. It's, this is going to take a while to recover from. Yeah. And, you know, I've tried to tell my team early on in all the phone calls and Zooms, I was like, hey, man, how about giving each other a little bit of grace? Because all the shit we had to deal with personally beforehand that you didn't know about is a lot more today, right? So if somebody doesn't quite meet up to your standards today, take a breath and, and give them a chance. Yeah. And you'll find out they just had something going on in their life. So this is going to be lasting impacts, um, um, you know, personal loss. I lost my grandmother to COVID. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot to this. Um and, and history will write the story of, of its its interpretation of it, right? Whatever happens. Um, what are you most proud of yourself for? And you can't say your sons because that's everyone's <laughs> first response is my sons. Well, they haven't done anything yet. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I have great relationships. Um, I'm very proud of the military um, performance, you know, going from an enlisted guy to getting a commission, um, you know, is, is very interesting and, and it enables you to develop new skills. And, and that was uh, look back on a lot of personal pride, you know, but when it was over, I knew it was over and I retired after 23 years and um, at my retirement, I, I, senior officer turned to my dad and said, Hey, you know, we, we had high hopes and said a few other things to my parents. And, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds great, but I, I know when I'm done. And it, I just retired at a perfect time. Uh, felt like I left it on the field and, and moved on to business. And I thought, put my energies into to the company and, and people and it paid off literally. Literally. So how did, um, I'm assuming the, the commanding officer was probably talking to your parents about, you know, you could have, I don't know, been a general or an admiral, whatever it was. How did you know that you were done? Uh, um, I just felt like, um, the mission was winding down. I could have spent 10 more years, achieved higher rank, done different things. But um, I had developed a certain reputation for being ruthless, and, and eventually that would have caught up with me. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to run guys out that yeah. in peacetime were, you know, were very effective during war. That doesn't equate to peacetime. Sure. Um, <clears throat> what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were 25? Oof. told you I was going to hammer you basic finance mm. um, I think you and me both the lack of financial skills is a problem um, not that I was doing stupid shit and running up credit cards and all that but one thing I really spend time with with my family talking about is, is finance to the point where 
we have discussions on decision making of, of, hey, we're thinking about this. What would you guys think about? And what are the what are the planning factors in helping you make that decision? Um, so basic finance, you know, is is lacking. Um, uh, empathy. I mean, I was I was that hard headed younger guy just doing my thing. So yeah. I've, I've come around to that. And then I'm not good at it, but patience. Um, I, I hope to gain more patience as, as I get older. Um, so you're, so you basically bring your personal financial decisions with, for you and your wife to your boys and say, what would you do? That's fucking brilliant. Yeah, we, we try to create, um, kind of teaching moments on everything. And, and, um, I, it reminds me of teaching, um, my boys how to drive. And I use this philosophy of, uh, talk out loud. Um, talk to me on what you're thinking as you're driving. And it's, um, Early on, it was a, a tactic I used with some of my engineers. Of, of tell me, give me the benefit of your thinking. You know, speak out loud. And and sometimes you have to tell people what that really means. Is but with with financial education, it's like you know, number one, you know, hey, we're faced with this potential asset purchase. Is it is it uh, better to borrow this type of money, pay cash, do do this or that? And just try to get them to talk about all the different aspects of that. Yeah. Wow. That's a great, you know, cause that is funny. Uh, Natalie and I are walking, I think it was, no, it was last night. And you were saying how the schools, you, you, you never learn finance um, in school and never learn this. And I think there's a massive, I mean, I don't think there's a massive opportunity to learn more of that in school, but it's also like when I was in high school, um, and I was in school, I was just doing everything I could to not learn anything. So you could have had the best finance teacher in the whole world where, and you wouldn't give a shit. However, I think if you can really enforce that stuff at home in your own way, in a more realistic scenario, I, I would think not having been a dad, I, I think that probably goes a long way. That and, you know, just, just trying to create every situation and, and say, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Does that make sense to you? And, and you know, number one, you got to get teenagers to talk. So it's another way to get them talking. Yeah, definitely. Um, So you can take this however you want it. Different people have taken it in different ways, but where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, More patient. um, That's the hope. Hopefully (laughs) um, I've got some successful young men that are moving on in their lives. Uh, My wife and I are enjoying, um, like you, we love the water. So our future is somewhere near the water. Um, but I, I have these conversations a lot of retirement. Well, people shouldn't retire. Okay. That, that's terrible. I was actually talking to my father yesterday and for good reason, uh, he did retire at an age that uh, supported my mother, but he didn't want to retire. He needed the mental stimulus and and really comes down to purpose. So, you know, I'm a little bit young to retire, but I I have a group of friends and we talk about what that looked like. Well, you better not just retire, right? You better like take a breath and then what's your new purpose? Yeah. So, and you know, maybe it's Habitat for Humanity for months on end and then take a break, but whatever it is, right? Find your thing. 
uh, travel. I know you love to travel, but um, it, it's about delivering on my commitments in the situation I'm in and then taking up, taking a breath and then seeing what's next. See what's next. Um, what book have you given most as a gift and why? So actually now I'm stealing these from uh, one of my favorite podcasts, the Tim Ferriss show. He's fantastic and he, his questions are great. So I, w- I want to take, cause we have a few minutes. I want to take a couple more. What book have you given most as a gift and why? Um, literally uh, David Marquet, who was a submarine captain wrote a book called uh, um, turn the ship around. And I related to it from my submarine experience. And there's probably 12, com- 12 copies around the office where, you know, at a, at a point in time, we wanted everybody to read it. And there's just an intent-based leadership philosophy I love. Hey, boss, uh, I'm, I'm, here's my thing I'm going to do for the week. I'll let you know if I'm on track. And, and I... Even now, I have these meetings as in my position where people run down all their activity and, and it gets to me or I start and I say, we're all on track, boss. And it's like waiting for more information. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm doing my thing. There's, you know, the details you don't need to worry about. I'll come to you if there's a change in plan or if I need some help mm-hmm. or if I wow. get good news or, you know, all that. But Intent-based leadership is fantastic. So that's literally the book I've given out to you know people. But as you know, I love essentialism. I was going to uh, say. I, I was almost going to tell you you couldn't say essentialism, but you could have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's you're reading a book. You're like, wait, this is my way I live. <laughs> this is me. Yeah, I mean, there's certain books that certainly resonate. You know what? It's so funny. I I have a. This is my personal opinion that I think. Every 98% of people in the world just bullshit about they lie about how much work they've done or how much work they have. I mean, you can't believe anything when anyone tells you about their output. I just everything. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm doing this. or I'm so busy. I'm doing do, do, do. And it's all talk. And you're right. There's something almost you almost feel guilt in a way being like, like someone will reach out and be like, Hey, so what do you have going on? And it's kind of like nothing. Like I have plenty going on, but nothing that I really want to fucking tell nothing that's going to benefit me. If I have something I want to talk to you about and so many people, it's like, they just want to, I don't know if it's much pontif- pontificate as much as it is like make themselves feel better in a way or justify themselves, you know? And that's a, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't get excited by, you know, um, busyness. I value outcomes. Outcomes. Yeah. So I could use a reminder on that. I appreciate that. That's uh, something I could always use. Uh, all right. What purchase of a hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? It doesn't need to be the last six months, hundred bucks or less. Hmm. That's a tough one. I, I I don't have an answer. You uh, plead the fifth. All well, right. I just uh, I can't think of anything. What well, the hell can you get for under under hundred dollars? I don't know. I, it, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
if you want to come back to it, we can. What, what's the oh, uh, a hamburger press? Okay. <laughs> see, I know it. I, this okay. Go. What about yeah, it? Hamburger press. My family loves really thin hamburgers, so it's you know twenty dollar thing. It's awesome. Okay. What's the best investment you've ever made? Time, money. It doesn't need to be. You know, it could be anything. My education, hands down. So, you like know, I getting the military your... to get the GI Bill to get an education. And of course, that got you a little bit of the way, but um, in my case, it really paid off. Yeah. So your education. What's something you had to go through? What's something hard that you've had to go through, and how has it helped you in the long run? Well, when you're the leader of, um, you know, people in a combat zone, you're faced with challenges every day, and you know. You better be sincere in your actions. Otherwise, they'll see right through it. You know, yeah. if you're a big speech giver, that lasts about the first first day. After that, people smell bullshit real quick. Right. Um, I got three more. What is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? Say it again. An unusual habit? Yeah. So what's like something unusual – habit that you have or something absurd that you love that's just kind of weird i go for a walk every night with my son yeah love it that's your thing in the last five years what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life this is a good one because it's it's kind of more recent um what i have had to go through recently because transacting my business is um, it's, it's not meant as a negative thing at all is much more uh, explaining decision-making um, group decisions. Hey, we got to talk about this and then a week we'll talk about it some more. And um, I would have said, well, I could have made this decision eight months ago, right? Let's do this. And people always know that if they need a decision, I don't need 100% of the information. So um, that's been a change in the last couple of years. Um, when you, that's, so when you say you don't need 100% of the information when you have a decision, what, is that, what does that mean? So um, I think you and I both know people that, have to have everything. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And they, they need a hundred percent of all available information. And, and that's when you have these series of phone calls to discover more information on this business decision we're making. And I'm not that way at all. Anything over 50%, roughly 60% of the information. I'm like, Hey, let's go for it. Or like, I want nothing to do with that. Um, I remember first, one of the first meetings I had uh, in our current company, and I, I think I said no 19 out of 20 times. So I'm as good at saying no as I am saying yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt it. It goes uh, back to that. I prefer outcome versus activity. Yeah. Activity is not useful unless it leads to something beneficial. In, in order to remain hyper-focused on whatever it is you're trying to deliver, you probably need to say no to a lot of things. Um, yep. So you can say yes to the one thing. And I, I think that is the... For people that are struggling with that, that's why essentialism is, is so good 
you know, that the lessons it teaches you is, you know, less but better. You know, that's, that's a great lesson. Yeah, it, it is. And especially me, cause I'm like so hyper, I'm like, I got to do this, this, this. And it's like, and this again goes back to, that's why I'm so big into meditating and like act because it's just slow down be present in the moment and focus fully on what you're going to do. And that might mean only, only mean you do one or two things, but you damn well do them right versus doing 20 things half-ass. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a great, I think for people that are hyper folk, hyper competitive and let's get it done. That's probably a good, a good, uh, a good lesson. Um, what advice would you give? So this is the last question. What, what advice would you give to a smart driven college student about to enter the real world, real world? It's a two part question. So what advice do you give them? And then what advice would you tell them to ignore? I would say, um, find a job where it doesn't matter really what the starting pay is, the position that you thought you could learn something and contribute back to the organization versus sucking everything out of it, right? Um, I'm not foolish enough to think people work, and, and I certainly didn't, didn't say, hey, I'm going to be here forever. But there's a balance. Um, you know, people, companies hire people and spend a lot of money training them. So, you know, you got to give back a little bit too, right? Um, I like that. So, you know, a, a good fit. I think kids need to understand what a new, a good fit is. I, I always recommend people interview a lot. Um, try to smell out the bullshit. What's the good opportunities. Um, and then just be honest, but, hmm. um, that'd be a piece of advice. I usually go talk, you know, non COVID days would go talk to college students and, you know, be part of a team in a meaningful way. Not, don't be afraid to make a decision. Um, when, when those opportunities arise, and what was the second part? What advice should they ignore? So what do you think is common starting advice? Starting salary. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, it's actually kind of the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, especially at that age, starting salary couldn't mean shit, could it? Oh, nowadays, I got some great stories about, you know, recruiting one guy. is like, oh, this is going to be a good fit. And, you know, uh, everything he wants to do, we're doing. And he turns us down. And I realized they should have been negotiating with his mother. You know, um, so people are getting plenty of bad advice and that that's fine. Uh, everything's overcomable, right? There's yeah. not, there's not too many things people can really make a terrible decision at in our industry. Yeah. Especially at that young of an age. Um, yeah. so if you're listening to this and any of this resonated with you, I would highly recommend that, um, if you're willing to share it, would you share that document that you share with me? I'm assuming you'd share that with anyone, right? Um, I think so. It's, it's been out in the domain. Um, I was once at a military conference and, and, you know, there's 30 people there and this guy hears my name and perks up and kind of comes at me. Right. <laughs> Cause I want to shake your hand. I read that document. <laughs> I was like, well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. I, really so sure, I wouldn't have no problems. It's, you know, it's, it was meant to help other people and I hope, um, I, I hope it does. So um, you're a ghost on social media. You don't exist on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. So if someone is interested um, in getting their hands on that or anything, would you want them to reach out to you or would you just rather them have them reach out to me and I can be the, be the middle I man? Think, uh, I think it can be put out on joechickarelli.com or you know, your 
You have plenty of channels. I, I have none and you have many. Yeah, deal. Okay. So guys, if you're listening, again, if you're looking for a succinct way of learning a bunch of shit in a couple short pages without bought, committing to a big, long book, this would be a great thing. Um, so reach out to me. And uh, I want to thanks, thank you for coming on, man. Like I said, I mean, I'm lucky enough to get your wisdom on a daily basis, but uh, I wanted to offer it to a lot of other people. And I wanted to give you the chance or anything else you wanted before we close this thing up. I've kind of picked your brain pretty good today, but anything else that didn't get said? No, I'd love to come back if you've got some feedback and we can dive into some of those questions even further. Um, you know, uh, I've learned a lot about coaching even from you in the in the time we've known each other. So it's fascinating. I, I actually, um, I think it's needed, uh, in a way that I never saw before. Um, and I don't know, I, I think I know why, but, um, I won't, I won't guess, but, um, you know, having guys like you out there providing professional coaching is, is great. Um, people need to ask for help when they need